Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 12, Chapter 13. Platon's appearance is revealed here. Does he look like you expected him to? And Iosof Alexevich was an important person in Pierre's life. Platon Karatev seems to become one, according to the following quote. Platon Karatev remained forever in Pierre's soul as the strongest and dearest memory and the embodiment of everything Russian, kindly and round. What do Iosif and Platon have in common to make them as important as they are, slash will be, to Pierre? The last paragraph summarizes the way that Platon lives his life. Would this be as possible way to live life during peace times in the working field? A lot of comments on today's one. Twelve comments. Acoustic Eel says, Hope this guy sticks around for a while, since we just spent all this time learning about his mannerisms. It's refreshing to have a character who speaks freely <coughs> excuse me, and earnestly, instead of hiding their feelings and adhering to social codes. Rybred Egg says there's a 50-50 chance there's a fake out on his death. <laughs> yep, you're getting to know your Tolstoy, the fake out of the death. Anytime someone does die, you know. 50-50 chance they're coming back. Not that he died, but... Twisted Everywhere says this man, Pierre, was there for four weeks. That sucks. Interested to find out how he got gets released. I think Platon was just there at one of those pivotal moments in Pierre's life. They are imprisoned and have nothing to do but sit and talk with each other. It's no surprise Pierre would remember this as a significant memory in his life. Alajos says, I really enjoyed hearing about Platon's worldview refreshing contrast to the often quite neurotic and self-absorbed Pierre. Uh, sometime in the past, new read-along member says, I think Pierre has been seeking a strong role model in his whole life. Usually he picks inappropriate people like Dolokhov with the whole bear and policeman prank, uh, but this fellow might work out. He's the complete opposite of Pierre and exudes a kind of peace no matter what that would help Pierre a lot. Yeah, I think Pierre tends to let people kind of rub off on him, but he does seem to take the best parts of them and carry forward. You know, Pierre's got, at his core, he's a, he's a decent dude. Um, <clears throat> now there was another one I wanted to read. Oh yeah, Other Side B said, Hello all, I'm currently reading War and Peace for the second time at a pretty slow pace. I started last year and I was seeing, and was seeing you guys catch up to me and waiting to participate in discussion posts when you did. I hope to keep up with you from now on and have my own thoughts from the second read. Awesome. Um, please do. I love that even this late in the game, this has been happening a lot in the last week or so, it's just new people joining in with the daily reading and you'd kind of think that once you're uh you know nearly what are we nine months uh nine months into the year you would think that you wouldn't have that many new people joining in but it's pretty awesome that we do all right i'm keen to keep reading chapter 14 goes like this excuse me oh oh golly <clears throat> um, my partner and I have just we've just been binge watching uh, Sex Education on Netflix 
and um, we just got through season three just then, just finished it. Um, but my partner, she hadn't seen seasons one and two. She'd watched like one episode from the like the very first episode and never never continued. I really wanted to watch season three, so I said, "Look, all right, let's binge watch three seasons." And so we've done that over the last. Uh, I reckon 10 days. I reckon 10 days it's taken us to watch three full seasons. A little bit over a week. <laughs> uh, it's been great though. And we just got to the end of it then. Really good show. Alright. <clears throat> anyway, that's just my excuse for my yawn. That's why I'm, I'm a bit sleepy. I've just been staring at the old idiot box. Here we go. When Princess Mary heard from Nicholas that her brother was with the Rostovs at Yaroslav, her, uh, she, sorry, at once prepared to go there in spite of her aunt's efforts to dissuade her, and not merely to go herself, but to take her nephew with her. Whether it were difficult or, le- or easy, possible or impossible, she did not ask and did not want to know. It was her duty, not only to herself, to be near her brother, who was perhaps dying, but to do everything possible to take his son to him. And so she prepared to set off. That she had not heard from Prince Andre himself, Princess Mary attributed to his being too weak to write, or to his considering the long journey too hard and too dangerous for her and his son. In a few days, Princess Mary was ready to start. Her equipages were the huge family coach in which she had travelled to Varennes, a semi-open trap, and a baggage cart. With her travelled Mademoiselle Boreen, little Nicholas and his tutor, her old nurse, three maids, Tikon and a young footman, and her courier and courier and her aunt had sent to accompany her. The usual route through Moscow could not be thought of, and the roundabout way Princess Mary was obliged to take through Lipetsk, Ryazan, Vladimir, and Shuya were very long, and as post horses were not everywhere obtainable, very difficult. And near Ryazan, where the French were said to have shown themselves, was even dangerous. During this difficult journey, Mademoiselle Borine de Salas and Princess Mary's servants were astonished at her energy and firmness, firmness of spirit. She went to bed later and rose earlier than any of them and no difficulties daunted her thanks to her activity and energy which interf- infected her fellow travelers they approached Yaroslavl by the end of the second week the last days of her stay in Varennes had been the happiest of her life her love for Rostov no longer tormented or agitated her it filled her whole soul had become an integral part of herself and she no longer struggled against it Latterly, she had become convinced that she loved and was beloved, though she neither said this definitely to herself in words. She had become convinced of it at her last interview with Nicholas, when he had come to tell her that her brother was with the Rostovs. Not by a single word had Nicholas alluded to the fact that Princess Andrew's relations with Natasha might, if he recovered, be renewed. But Princess Mary saw by his face that he knew and thought of this. Yet, in spite of that, his relation to her, considerate, delicate and loving, not only remained unchanged, but it sometimes seemed to Princess Mary that he was even glad that the family connection between them allowed him to express his friendship more freely. She knew that she loved for the first and only time in her life and felt that she was beloved and was happy in regard to it. 
But this happiness on one side of her spiritual nature did not prevent her feeling grief for her brother with full force. On the contrary, that spiritual tranquility on the one side made it the more possible for her to give full play to her feeling for her brother. The, that feeling was so strong at the moment of leaving Gorenz that those who saw her off as they looked at her careworn, despairing face felt sure she would fall ill on the journey. But the very difficulties and preoccupations of the journey which she took so actively in hand saved her for a while from her grief and gave her strength. As always happens when travelling, Princess Mary thought only of the journey itself, forgetting its object. But as she approached Yaroslavl, the thought of what might await her there, not after many days, but that very evening, again presented itself to her, and her agitation increased to its utmost limit. The courier who had been sent on in advance to find out where the Rostovs were staying in Yaroslavl, and in what condition Prince Andrei was, when he met the big coach just entering the town gates, was appalled by the terrible pallor of the princess's face that looked out at him from the window. I have found out everything, Your Excellency. The Rostovs are staying at the merchant Bronnikov's house in the square not far from here, right above the Volga, said the courier. Princess Mary looked at him with frightened inquiry, not understanding why he did not reply to what she chiefly wanted to know. How was her brother? Mademoiselle Boreen put that question for her. How is the prince? she asked. His Excellency is staying in the same house with them. Then he is alive, thought Princess Mary, and asked in a low voice, How is he? The servants say he is still the same. What still the same might mean, Princess Mary did not ask, but with an unnoticed glance at little seven-year-old Nicholas, who was sitting in front of her looking with pleasure at the town, she bowed her head and did not raise it again till the heavy coach, rumbling, shaking and swaying, came to a stop. The carriage steps clattered as they were let down. The carriage door was open. On the left there was water, a great river, and on the right a porch. There were people at the entrance, servants, and a rosy girl with a large plait of black hair, smiling as it seemed to Princess Mary in an unpleasantly affected way. This was Sonia. Princess Mary ran up the steps. This way, this way, said the girl, with the same artificial smile, and the princess found herself in the hall, facing an elderly woman of oriental type, who came rapidly to meet her with a look of emotion. This was the countess. She embraced Princess Mary and kissed her. Mon effant, she muttered. Je depuis Uh My child, I love you and have known you a long time. Despite her excitement, Princess Mary realized that this was the countess and that it was necessary to say something to her, hardly knowing... How she did it, she contrived to utter a few polite phrases in French in the same tone as those that had been addressed to her and asked, How is she? How is he, sorry. The doctor says that he is not in danger, said the countess, but as she spoke she raised her eyes with a sigh and her gesture conveyed a contradiction of her words. Where is he? Can I see him? Can I? asked the princess. One moment, princess. One moment, my dear. Is this his son? said the countess, turning to little Nicholas, who was coming in with Desalas. There will be room for everybody. This is a big house. Oh, what a lovely boy. The countess took Princess Mary into the drawing room, where Sonia was talking to Mademoiselle Boreen. The countess caressed the boy, and the old count came in and welcomed the princess. He had changed very much since Princess Mary had last seen him. 
Then he had been a brisk, cheerful, self-assured old man. Now he seemed a pitiful, bewildered person. While talking to Princess Mary, he continually looked around as if asking everyone whether he was doing the right thing. After the destruction of Moscow and of his property thrown out of his accustomed grove, he seemed to have lost the sense of his own significance and to feel that there was no longer a place for him in life. In spite of her one desire to see her brother as soon as possible and her vexation and that the moment <clears throat> when all she wanted was to see him, they should be trying to entertain her and pretending to admire her nephew, the princess noticed all that was going on around her and felt the necessity of submitting for a time to this new order of things which she had entered. She knew it to be necessary and thought it was hard for her. She was not vexed with these people. This is my niece, said the Count, introducing Sonia. You don't know her, Princess. Princess Mary turned to Sonia and trying to stifle the hostile feeling that arose in her toward the girl, she kissed her, but she felt oppressed by the fact that the mood of everyone around her was so far from what it was in her own heart. Where is he? she asked again, addressing them all. He's downstairs. Natasha is with him, answered Sonia, flushing. We have sent to ask. I think you must be tired, Princess. Tears of vexation showed themselves in Princess Mary's eyes. She turned away and was about to ask the Countess again how to go to him, when light, impetuous and seemingly buoyant steps were heard at the door. The Princess looked around and saw Natasha coming in, almost running, that Natasha, whom she had liked so little at their meeting in Moscow long since. But hardly had the princess looked at Natasha's face before she realised that here was a real comrade in her grief, and consequently a friend. She ran to meet her, embraced her, and began to cry on her shoulder. As soon as Natasha, sitting at the head of Prince Andre's bed, heard of Princess Mary's arrival, she softly left his room and hastened to her with those swift steps that had sounded buoyant to Princess Mary. There was only one expression on her agitated face when she ran into the drawing room, that of love, boundless love for him, for her, and for all that was near to the man she loved, and of pity, suffering for others, and passionate desire to give herself entirely to helping them. It was plain that at that moment there was in Natasha's heart no thought of herself, or of her own relations with Prince Andre. Princess Mary, with her acute sensibility, understood all this at the first glance at Natasha's face, and wept on her shoulder with sorrowful pleasure. Come, come to him, Mary, said Natasha, leading her into the other room. Princess Mary raised her head, dried her eyes, and turned to Natasha. She felt that from her, here, from her she would be able to understand and learn everything. How, she began her question, but stopped short. She felt that it was impossible to ask or to answer in words. Natasha's face and eyes would have to tell her all more clearly and profoundly. Natasha was gazing at her, but seemed afraid and in doubt whether to say all she knew or not. She seemed to feel that before those luminous eyes which penetrated into the very depth of her heart, it was impossible not to tell the whole truth which she saw. And suddenly Natasha's lips twitched, ugly wrinkles gathered round her mouth, and covering her face with her hands she burst into sobs. Princess Mary understood, but she still hoped and asked in words she herself did not trust, but how is his wound? What is his general condition? You you will see, was all Natasha could say. They sat 
a little while downstairs near his room till they had left off crying and were able to go to him with calm faces. How was his whole illness gone? Is it long since he grew worse? When did this happen? Princess Mary inquired. Natasha told her that at first there had been danger from his feverish condition and the pain he suffered, but at Troitza that had passed and the doctor had only been afraid of gangrene. That danger had also passed. When they reached Yaroslavl, the wound had begun to fester. Natasha knew all about such things as festering, and the doctor had said that the festering might take a normal course. Then fever set in, but the doctor had said the fever was not very serious. But two days ago this suddenly happened, said Natasha, struggling with her sobs. I don't know why, but you will see what he is like. Is he weaker? Thinner? asked the princess. No, it's not that, but worse. You will see. Oh, Mary, he is too good. He cannot, cannot live because... Dot, dot, dot. Alright, that's that chapter. Leaves it us on a bit of a cliffhanger. Ooh, I feel like the next chapter is going to be brutal. Have your say about the chapters today over on the subreddit. Thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.